If you're a hardworking professional struggling to reach financial freedom, I would like to help you out as much as I can in a free 15-minute strategy call. When I started investing in real estate in 2009, there were no resources for high-paid W-2 workers like myself. I wish someone who knew what to do and had the same pedigree as me told me what to do at the starting line. As I wind down the year, as a limited-time holiday gift, I would like to connect with you to give you a free strategy session. Open to new members to the Hui Do Pipeline Club. Book here at simplepassivecashflow.com slash talk. This is a story about a dude named Lane. He moved to the mainland and bought one place to stay. And then one day he went and tried to rent them out. And then he became one real investor man. Hey, Simple Passive Cashflow listeners, please go to the website, sign up for the uh, Hui Do Pipeline Club, simplepassivecashflow.com slash club. I know if you guys are driving down the road, you guys can pull that up on your phone. But if you get into an accident, it's not my fault. Uh, today, we got David Druganus. His name implies that he does things with drugs. He's an anesthesiologist, and he uh, does the podcast and the website Doctors Unbound. If you guys want to check that out on iTunes and Google Play and all that such. Uh, but yeah, thanks for ju- jumping on, David. I think hey, Lane, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm excited to, uh, to talk with you today. I was kind of hoping that we'd kind of pull some stories out from, uh, for the doctors that are listening out there that might resonate with them. Um, but yeah, first, first question we always kind of ask just to get a, a sense of where you are these days in your investing in your uh, life journey is how much simple passive cash flow are you making today and how, how is that coming in? Yeah, so sure. So, so we're, I'll, I'll give you a range. Um, we are making somewhere around four to eight K a month. Um, and we are doing that with short term rentals. So, Airbnb, VRBO, uh, that, that type of uh, short term rental uh, investment. Um, so, I've been doing it for a little over a year now and uh, have been ramping up slowly and the goal is to hopefully at least triple that. So are you owning the actual real estate or are you doing that um, the Airbnb arbitrage where you? Yeah. So some people advocate the, the, the rental arbitrage game. I've, you know, I've looked into that. Um, you could probably scale up quicker if, you know, if you're going to do it in that matter where you're, you're just taking on a lease and you're, you've calculated your spread um, and you're doing it that way. I prefer to own my real estate. I think there's some advantages to that um, as far as controlling the property, um, getting the appreciation of the property, et cetera. So um, at this point, we're not doing the rental arbitrage game. We are owning the property. So probably a little bit slower to scale up, but it gives us a lot more control. And since we're a, you know, a family operation, um, that's for now, at least that's, that's the way that we're going to grow. So did you originally buy the real estate for the short-term rentals or was it for some other reason originally? Sure. So, so the first home that we bought was originally for another reason. We originally bought it and then um, used it as a residential assisted living. Um, my wife and her family have, you know, 15, 20 years experience in the residential assisted living space. Um, that's, you know, a market that has a lot of need. It's growing. Um, they knew how to do that. And so we thought that it would be a good, a good investment for us to help them help us. And of course, do something good for seniors. Uh, 
seniors need like good people taking care of them. And as a physician, that's something that I was, you know, very aware of. We did that for probably a year or so. We were building that business. That business is very, if you're going to be an operator, uh, it's very intense from the standpoint of, of building it and doing it right, doing it correctly. Um, and we just found that with uh, a new baby that uh, was unexpected, but certainly welcome in our family, that it, the timing for that type of business just wasn't right for us. Right. Um, and, so, and so what we did is, is the thing that was really beneficial was that when we bought the property, you know, I bought the property with multiple exit points, you know, ex, you know exits in mind. And so I could sh- long-term rent the property and still have a, a reasonable cash flow. Um, I'm in a market that I knew was appreciating. So, so the house appreciated, you know, a decent amount since we bought it so I could sell it and be fine. But then I started reading about the short-term rental uh, investment game and I really became intrigued by it. I, I loved that, you know, there was a business on top of real estate and uh, it just, I don't know, it's something about it just struck me as, as something that I wanted to try out and do in, in one of the benefits was of course, you know, higher return, um, you know, from a cash flow standpoint. A couple of things that kind of come to mind that people have told me is, you know, you're working with better people. You don't have to worry about people not paying because they will, they pay up front. Right. Um, you don't have to worry about all that cat, that payment system because the websites kind of do it for you. Although you should probably try and wean yourself off of the platforms and build your own clientele. But then the nice thing is like when, when, you know, in my world, when the phone rings, it's usually something bad, right? Something's broken and you got to pay 500 bucks or a couple thousand mm-hmm. bucks. But every time your phone rings, it's like, it's for something happy, right? Like you get that yeah. coming up. <laughs> it's it, it's funny because I think my my wife has so so my wife does the day to day communications um, and she's excellent at it communicating with the guests and and the, the amazing thing is is really you could you could do it over your smartphone and a lot of people do it remotely as long as they have a team in place um, so so my wife will have a specific ringtone and when it, when it rings it's it's you know it's usually a, a notification from Airbnb and VRBO <laughs> oftentimes a booking so I'm like did you just get a booking. <laughs> <laughs> So it's, it's, it's kind of an ongoing joke for us. So, so, so some of the bad things are, you know, here in Hawaii, um, you know, the local people can't buy houses. So there's big government legislature to kind of block this stuff in non-tourist areas, which I think is probably the right thing that should happen. If not, you know, it's going to draw, drive the price of homes up because people are just going to try and buy short-term rentals in Hawaii. And then all the locals get displaced even more. But you know, what, what are some of the downsides you're, you're seeing? I mean, another thing that, you know, like the, we, we talked about that arbitrage thing mm-hmm. and for, for the listeners who don't know what you do is you, um, you don't need to own the real estate property, but you just call up the landlord and say, Hey man, um, this sounds crazy, but I'm going to like rent your property out on, on Airbnb as a short-term rental. But the cool thing is I'm going to clean it up every other day for you. Um, yeah. And some people are doing that. And, you know, the benefit of that is, you know, you can offer that landlord some kind of a premium, right? You know, let's say their unit rents for 2000 a month, you know, you can offer them 2200 and they know they're, they're going to have hundred percent occupancy. Um, so, so there are certainly benefits to, to the landlord when you do it that way. I would say um, if you do it 
let's say, you know, my way, so to speak. So, so if you have one house that's your own, that you are already Airbnb, I think your ability to convince a landlord that you know what you're doing is going to be higher. Because if I want to go and, and now move into that rental arbitrage game, I don't just talk to a renter or to a landlord and try and convince him. I can shoot him over, you know, my listings that are currently there, which are amazing luxury listings. I can have him come to my house and tour it and see exactly how clean and well taken care of it is. And so I think if, if, if you want to do that game, it, it might even be to your benefit to start off with one that you own um, and get that under your belt. And then you can, you know, move on and, and rental arbitrage the others. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that kind of concerns me and from like, you know, when I look into investments, I like investments that aren't available to the general public. Mm -hmm. um, the arbitrage thing is definitely available to the, the kid that lives in their mother's basement. Um, at some point, the kids in their mother's basement army will find about, out about this and start doing it. Um, but what are the risks that you kind of see that, that are maybe concerning for someone who's kind of in the business as opposed to me that just kind of. Sure. So, so I think one risk obvious, you know, as you kind of alluded to is, is the risk with government regulation. Um, and so you want to be very, very smart about how you do that. Um, for example, I'm in Texas. My, my uh, Airbnbs are here in Texas and the Texas Supreme court last year passed a ruling that cited with homeowners and property rights um, and saying that HOAs cannot take away your ability to do a short-term rental. Um, so stuff like that's important. Um, the other risk is, is, as you mentioned, is the risk of the platforms. Um, so not being completely beholden to Airbnb or VRBO or some of the other platforms. So what we're in the process of doing right now is moving to uh, some software that will streamline our ability to take bookings directly on our own website. And so I already kind of have a plan in place about reaching out to some local businesses and letting them know that our house is available and offering discounts and doing things that way. So to give you an example, we had somebody book from, you know, from the local church um, and we, they booked through the platform, but we found out that they were coming for a church conference. So I can go to that local church and say, hey, you know, you can book directly here. I'll give your members, you know, 10% off with this promo code there are a couple of new hospitals that are coming into the area. We've had um, families who have had kids coming in for surgery. They're coming from out of town for surgery. They're coming with other kids. They don't want to stay a week in a hotel when they're tending to a kid that's just had surgery. They want a home. Um, and so we're able to, to provide that for them. So, uh, so there's different ways to take away some of those risks, but I think the really long-term picture is that, short-term rental is here to stay. I think it, it provides, um, it provides a different need. So for example, I've got three small kids. When we travel on vacation, I don't want a hotel room. I want a house because I want to be able to put my small kid into a different room, put him off to sleep when, when he's ready for sleeping and still be able to enjoy the home. I want to have a kitchen where we can cook and, and defray some of those costs of traveling and just have a home cooked meal. So I think short, the short-term rental game uh, is here to stay. Now it might go through some, some regulation. It might go through some changes in law. Um, but, but I think this, this gig, gig economy, once, once people see what's available, um, I, I, you know, 
I don't think there's any going back. Um, and it, it'd be interesting to look at some of the numbers you were talking about, the concerns about driving prices up. I think what will happen is eventually it, it's a supply and demand thing, right? You're, you're going to find an equilibrium um, because that's the way free markets work. Um, you know, in my local area, I think there's about 100 homes that are on Airbnb right now. And there's, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of homes you know, that are available and that number is growing. So, so I think probably for most large markets, if you, if you look at the actual numbers, the, the number of properties that are on short-term rental, they, they get a lot of publicity in the news, but it's probably a very small percentage of the actual um, available stock of homes. Right. I, I think you and I are, are quite extreme markets, right? Like, I mean, Dallas is very pro, pro business. It mm-hmm. makes sense that they be all for this. Whereas I think Hawaii. Very different very conservative. The hotel industry is very strong. Um, you know, I, some things I look at, like, and if you follow like, like how Asia's, you know, Airbnb in Asia is being done. I mean, there a lot of places are just flat out blocking it because I, I think, I think there it's like the wealth gap is a lot larger in America. Mm-hmm. Um, the 1% is just way more stronger than everybody else, more so than here. And they're, they're just going to be kind of like how you're, you're doing well, we're just going to go buy a bunch of properties, drive the prices up, and the locals can't even buy it anyway. And just yeah. bring it up on them. Um, be interesting how this all plays out, right? Like, Yeah, it is interesting because I think you, you block it and, and it'll go underground. Like, you know, I've been reading on different sites related to short-term industry about software coming out where, you know, your house isn't even posted on Airbnb during quote unquote working hours when the city officials are there scouring the listing. So <laughs> so it's, it's such a cat and mouse game. Um, I think in the end, they'll find a way to, you know, make it, you know, put in some meaningful laws that protect, you know, protect people that need to be protected, protect the, the, the local um, neighborhoods. Um, but at the same time, allow this to be done in a, you know, in a way that is, you know, meaningful and beneficial. I mean, I agree with you. Whenever I go traveling, I go Airbnbs. I mean, yeah. I don't want to pay, you know, $300 for a hotel and then on a hundred dollar resort fee. I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of like how we, we don't buy Sony TVs anymore. I'm super excited about a new program I'm rolling out that's going to reinvent scammy real estate education programs. So excited, like Marine Kondo cleaning stuff up excited. Announcing my new mastermind program, which consists of a closed member site with 27 packed weeks of content, plus bi-weekly group video conference calls to ask whatever. Half of the calls will be centered around granular investing tactics, and the other half will be holistic wealth building strategies that I have learned from the wealthy. That's 25 plus hours of group coaching and masterminding, and a secret Facebook group too. I know what you're thinking, not another flippin' Facebook group. Well, this one's going to be different, more intimate, exclusive, and no cheapskates or shady vendors in it. I've been coaching individual clients over the past couple years, and I figured out what you guys need and a way to provide it in a cost-effective way. Learn more, go to simplepassivecashflow.com backslash journey and join before the first cohort fills up and the introductory pricing goes away. When you first started doing this stuff, did you... uh... Did you go to like a mentorship program to kind of learn it or? You You know, I didn't. What I, what I did is I just started reading everything that I could get my hands on. And that's, that's what's so amazing about the internet, right? It's like, if, 
if you are really curious, if you, if you really want to learn something, there's so much information out there. Now you, you go down some rabbit holes. I think the benefit of uh, going through courses or mentorship or things like that is that it just streamlines your learning. Um, but for us, I just didn't come across something that I felt would, um, you know, would provide the value that I needed for, for what we were doing. But I just, I read a ton probably for about six months to a year. And then we had this property that we knew we were going to transition. The, the home was already, um, had, was already furnished because of the assisted living. So we had beautiful furnishing in place and really all we needed to do is to create the listing and learn that aspect of it. Um, so I just talked to my wife and said, Hey, why don't we give this a go and see how it works? And, um, again, like doing, you learn so much by doing. Um, but, uh, I, I was, I was just so interested in learning about this stuff that, you know, in my free time, I, I would be on different, you know, short-term rental sites, um, learning about the different technologies, you know, dynamic pricing software, um, which we have on there, all sorts of these cool little, little things and technologies on top of it. And, um, just learn so much and, you know, in a year, year and a half of doing this is all on the side for you, right? You're, um, you, you have the ability to take off a day here and there from your day job, which is anesthesiologist. Maybe talk to us a little bit about, you know, how did, how did this all kind of come about, you know, starting the podcast and kind of playing around with these different investment activities? Yeah. So I don't know exactly when it happened, but, you know, I, I went through all my, all my training and, you know, for physicians, it's, it's pretty rigorous, rigorous training until you're, you're through, you know, college and medical school and residency, and you're finally an attending and making, you know, a reasonable, well-paid salary. Um, and so, you know, I'd gotten to that point and, you know, I started realizing as I was trying to learn more and more about, about money and, and finances that although I was compensated well for my time, I was still trading time for money. And I started, you know, that, that was kind of like that initial seed that went into my head is like, okay, how do I convert some of this income that I'm making into, you know, an investment that is going to spit out regular cash flow for me? And so that, you know, so, so that was kind of the initial thought. Um, real estate, for some reason, has always been on the top of my mind, just because it's something that I can be close to, I can touch, I can understand it, I can have control over it. So real estate was always on the top of my mind as, as, a, as a way to do that. And then also, you know, online businesses, um, they can scale so well that, you know, I created an anesthesia website and then I created this podcast, Doctors Unbound, where, where I talked to doctors who were doing all these kind of interesting things outside of medicine, kind of building this community, um, seeing this interest of physicians doing these cool other things. Like, I, it sounds like, you know, you've got a, a cool community of, of engineers and physicians who are, you know, interested in, in passive income. So kind of building these communities online, it doesn't take very much money. It takes your time. It takes your expertise. And then it can scale into something beautiful. Um, so I think those, that's where kind of the, the initial spark has come. And these are the different, you know, paths that, you know, I've taken exploring these opportunities. Yeah. I mean, you're kind of a very unique individual. You know, people always say, well, most investors are engineers. And I think the, uh, the average person says, well, because they're good at numbers. And like, yeah, I guess we are. But, you know, investing is not rocket science. I think engineers, the reason why there's so many engineers in investing is because we don't make as much money. There's that pain point in there. And we, but we make just as much money to, like, sort of buy at first property, right? We're not broke, mm -hmm. too, at the same time. 
Um, maybe kind of speak to a little bit about like, you know, doctors, you, you make so much money. So for a lot of, you know, your peers, the motivation is just, isn't there, right? Or is there? Well, you know, so, so it's interesting because I, I, I kind of consider myself an engineer too. I was, I was a biomedical engineer, even though I didn't pursue that as a, as a career path, but I did get some of that training. I, you know, I think well, I'll say this for physicians, there is a wide spectrum. So kind of, I would say a misconception out there is that physicians are very wealthy. And I say misconception, not to complain, not to say that, that, you know, we're poor or anything like that. But by the time physicians go through all of their training, they're delayed, you know, 12, 15 years before they start in, start earning a reasonable income all through residency. You're working, you know, 80 plus hours a week and you're making, you know, 40, 50 K when I think when I, when I was doing residency, it was like, I started at like, you know, 35, 36,000 working 80 you know hours a week. So by the time you get through all of that, you're delayed entering, you know, the, the real earning market. Um, and in the last decade or so, the price of your education has gone on significant, has gone up significantly. So physicians are graduating from their medical school residency, delaying paying off all those loans, and they're, they've got dollars $250,000, $350,000, $400,000 in loans that they're in the hole with, that they've got to figure out how they're going to pay, pay that off. So, you know, it's not as, as rosy of a financial situation, you know, unless they're some kind of outlier where they're really in a high paying specialty or they for some, somehow have figured out a way to get through and not have all of that debt. I mean, there was a recent um, story in the Wall Street Journal, Journal. It was, I believe, an orthodontist who had over a million dollars in student loans. Um, so it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of crazy. So unfortunately, the reality is that um, physicians are not in that great of a boat financially. Um, but um, I, I think we all can appreciate, you know, that, you know, being good with our money, saving up uh, a decent sort of, uh, you know, amount of money to start off with for, for investing purposes, we can start making some headway with, uh, with real estate. So what do you tell people when they're like, well, I'm, I'm gotta, I gotta pay off this $300,000 student loan before you even start investing, which how do you, I'm sure you've kind of dealt with this question a lot more than myself. But you know, you know, you know, it's tough. And I've actually had, I've had experts come onto my podcast because I didn't even realize how complicated it was. So to give you a little bit about my background, I got into medical school and I didn't know what specialty I was going to choose. Anesthesiology happens to be one of the better paying specialties. But at that time, I didn't know if I wanted to be a pediatrician, which unfortunately gets paid significantly less. And I didn't want money to make my choice of specialty for me. I wanted to choose something because I felt like I liked the specialty. I could contribute there and have a, a good, meaningful career. Um, so I took a Navy scholarship. The Navy paid for three years of my medical school. And in exchange, I gave them, you know, three years of active duty um, back as a physician. So I did that. So I didn't have all that crazy student loan debt. I paid for it in with time. So, so I paid about three, three and a half years after I was done with all my training. I was a Navy physician with the U S Navy. Great, you know, great experience, less pay, <laughs> less pay when you're a military physician, but, but great experience and, and being able to give back, you know, to service people and, and, and our country. Um, 
but I didn't realize how bad this situation was until I had uh, an expert come, come on in who deals just with this. And it's so complicated with respect to um, the different payment models, whether you go and work for an underserved hospital um, where they, they can start paying, you know, they start paying for some of your, your loans after you give say 10 years of service. It, it, you really have to sit down with a spreadsheet and run the numbers. Um, so that's, that's how complicated it is, um, unfortunately, for, for physicians and other health professionals in, in these ballooning uh, student loans. Yeah. So, so when guys are going through residency and they have that pain component financially, mm-hmm. or, or, did you see anybody interested in this stuff? Because certainly it's harder after, right, when you're, when you're getting paid the big bucks. You know, it, it is, you know, the truth is that probably for most people during residency, residency is so intense that you don't really have time to think about this stuff. Maybe with the exception of, of a few outliers. Um, for me, it was really towards the end of my residency when I could see that, that larger paycheck, you know, kind of on the horizon that I realized that I didn't know very much about money and I needed to start educating myself. So unfortunately, a lot of physicians fall prey to people who just sell them bad financial advice because we're seen kind of as a paycheck. Um, and, and there's a lot of education going on now there, there's, um, where they're, they're trying to, to teach physicians to have um, you know, better control of their finances and also trying to teach physicians the mindset of, hey, you've, you've gone through all of your training, you're a brand new attending with that bigger paycheck. You need to live like a resident for the next couple of years to set yourself on the right track. Because what happens is you've gone through, you know, 12, 15 years of delayed gratification. And now you say to yourself, I want that big, nice house. I want that shiny new car. And the truth is you can't, if you, if you buy all of those things immediately, you're, you're just going to dig a deeper hole. Um, So, so there's a lot of education that's going on now to try and teach physicians um, that they really need to practice these money skills because the sad part is that, that many of us still don't have them. Right. Cool. So, so um, I'm kind of interested, what is your simple passive cash flow number that you're kind of shooting for? What's that passive monthly goal that you're, that, that once you get there, maybe stop acting as frantically as you are feverishly working today? You know, I, I, there's probably like, I, I've thought about this a little bit and there's probably like two numbers for me. I think getting to like 10, you know, 10 K a month is, is like a nice, is a nice number because you, you know, you could, you could certainly live a very nice, comfortable, decent life, uh, you know, with that number. But if, if I was being more honest, um, I'm more in the kind of the fat fire cried crowd, if you will. Um, so, so I, probably be looking at more like 20 K a month is probably what I'm shooting for just to, just to have the little extras that, that are not necessarily need to's, but they're want to's. So, so it all depends on, you know, what your goals are, but for us probably, you know, getting somewhere near that 20 K a month is, is, uh, is the goal. How, how much of that are you working? Is that a component? Like, you know, you may be going down to two or three days a week or is that, well, or is that sure. cold, cold Turkey? Well, you know, I imagine that I'll still be doing anesthesia for a, a long time because, you know, I enjoy what I do. It's, 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 you know, it's doing good to the community and society and whatnot, you know, uh, still working my physician job. Um, but probably, probably cut down to, to part time, you know, once, you know, you know, maybe a few years down the road, um, you know, when I got closer to that number. 
So something you recently uh, thought about burning your cash on for a time savings or improvement in quality of life. So give people uh, uh, any idea out there what the next thing, or I'm interested. Well, so this is something that I did related to my podcast and not necessarily to investments, although I could see how you could, you could certainly translate it over. So I was into my podcast probably about three to six months and there were certain tasks that I either didn't enjoy doing, didn't have time doing, or just wasn't that good at doing. And so I brought on an assistant. I found somebody who was semi-local who I could interview in person and re, you know, and, and she came with a recommendation. So I, I was able to tell that I was getting somebody who was very high quality, high functioning. Um, and I brought this person on as an assistant and that has made my podcasting life so much easier. Um, because she takes care of show notes, she takes care of transcripts, um, social media postings, uh, even editing now, because I was kind of dreading Sunday nights. I, I post my podcast on Monday morning and I would always edit myself. And it usually fell to Sunday night because usually I'm on, I'm not on, you know, I'm not on call most weekends. And so it was taken away from my family. It was kind of a downer. It was like, okay, I got to get into the office and, you know, and edit the podcast. And, and she's taken that off of my plate. And I've just had more time now to, to interact with, with other folks, talk to you know, awesome people like you. Um, so that was something that for me just bought me so much time and freedom and allowed my podcast to continue to look professional, look great and, and build the brand, so to speak. And so probably even, you know, even within your real estate business, there's probably a virtual assistant or somebody that you could probably hire to do whatever kind of you know, simple, you know, repetitive tasks that you don't want to do, or, or, you know, you could have a higher use of your time. But, but that's a, like an in-person local person you're using. Well, every, everything is online. So this person is probably within two hours of where I, where I live. Um, but everything we do is completely online. So, um, we communicate through Slack. Uh, we have Dropbox folders set up, email, and everything is, is done basically through all of that. I, I like the fact that, that they were close enough because I was able to interview them in person um, and get a sense for the type of, of quality um, you know, that, that she had in her work. Um, so I appreciated that, but everything now is, is completely um, you know, virtual. So you didn't, um, you didn't want to go the overseas route, paying them like four bucks an hour. You, you were okay with over 10 get, get somebody good. I, you know, I think it depends on what you want. Right. So for me, I didn't mind paying a premium and, and still reasonably priced for somebody who, you know, will listen to my podcast. And when I may not even have to say, uh, you know, this is going to be in the show notes, this person is listening to the podcast and will automatically find the website of the person that I'm talking to will pull all their relevant um, URL links and drop it in the show notes, you know, so that level functioning where I don't have to spend time managing and, and looking over and micromanaging this person. I think for me, as busy as I am with, you know, full-time physician job, three small kids, real estate, um, and a podcast, it just wasn't a good use of it. Are, you know, a lot of your colleagues or yourself using like an all pair or, you know, in-house help just do some physical things around the house? A lot of people do. Um, and I always wonder if there's an opportunity there because it seems like it's very difficult to find and keep good help. 
um, we are we are really blessed and fortunate because my in-laws need, live near us. And so having my in-laws around, like we have, you know, if it's not going to be us, like who else am I going to trust with my kids more than grandma, grandpa? And um, they've kind of, they kind of help us manage our, our short-term rental business as well, because my father-in-law is an amazing handyman. And so you need a couple pieces in place if, if you're going to do the short-term rental game. So having, you know, a very good handyman person is key because you're going to get some emergencies here and there that where you need to act quickly. You need to have an excellent cleaning staff. Um, you need to have like an HVAC electrician type person available. So those are all kind of pieces to, you know, your management that you need to have in place. And we've chosen to do all of our rentals near where we live. Um, so I'm within, you know, seven to 10 minutes of, of, um, of my rentals right now. And I just, I'm, I'm fortunate in the, in the fact that after doing um, some research, you know, this market was, was amenable to short-term rentals. You know, those high paid professionals out, including engineers too, and lawyers and all doctors and medical folks. Is there anything that you kind of change your mind, your, your mind on? I have in, and it's not, it's not related to short-term rentals, but um, you know, when I first heard about, about cryptos, um, I thought is 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 like the scammiest thing in the world. Um, and then as I continued to learn about them, um, as I continued to learn about them, I went to a, a, a conference on, on crypto and blockchain. And I realized that there are some amazing solutions being developed through blockchain and even for real estate. So um, for real estate specifically, take smart contracts. Um, if, if you've ever bought or sold a house, I mean, you know, you know that you're, you're spending close to 10% on the transaction between maybe realtor fees and closing costs and all that. So I'm, I'm really excited to see what's going to happen in the real estate field with things like smart contracts and with, and with tokenization of assets. So taking really big assets um, where maybe the normal investor traditionally didn't have access to them, but now they're getting tokenized into, you know, $10,000 pieces that you can buy, something like that. It's, it's really going to open uh, the real estate game up to a lot more people. So um, initially when I heard about that stuff, I was like, what is this? This sounds super scammy. But as I kind of dove into, and I think unfortunately cryptocurrency and in, in, in the volatility and, and some of the shenanigans that happen into that space, it, it really gets lumped in with blockchain. And I think there's some really interesting, neat solutions that are going to be developed in blockchain for real estate and even for healthcare as well. The last question that we'd like to ask everybody is the, uh, the Tony Robbins question. You know, he, he talks about the art of fulfillment and the science of achievement. So first of all, you know, take the first and art of a fulfillment. What is uh, one way that you kind of, you keep things in perspective and you, you keep mo- motivated moving forward. And It's grounded in my faith. So, um, you know, my faith is very important to me. Um, you know, our family attend, attends church regularly. Um, and being able to, to do that, to take my kids there, to have time to just focus on spiritual well-being, spiritual health. Um, those are things that I find just, just keep me grounded. They remind me of how blessed I am that I've got my health, that I've got my family, that I have, you know, an amazing career where I get to not only help people, but get compensated for it. Um, and to be able to pass that on to my children um, and to see them, 
kind of get grounded in the same, in the same faith. Those are things that really bring fulfillment to me. And, and that, that's probably, that might look different for different people, whether they believe one faith or not, or, or if they don't believe. Um, but for me, that has been, as I found throughout the years, that's what helps me kind of decrease my stress. Um, understanding that all of this is for a bigger purpose. Um, and, uh, that regardless of what I do, I'm going to do my best. I'm still loved. I'm still loved by my, by my wife, by my family, by my creator, and, um, just, uh, you know, doing the best that I can. What is your secret or hack to the science of achievement? It has to do with mindset and the, the mindset of incremental improvement and breaking down big jobs or big tasks into more smaller achievable tasks that, that has been huge. So if, if I'm thinking about creating a podcast or I'm thinking about, you know, buying whatever, you know, getting into the short-term real estate game, I'm going to break that down into much smaller pieces and okay, today, you know, what piece of this can I, can I do today? And, and when I get that achieved, that, that kind of gives me a, you know, a, a small win and it gets me excited and I'm learning and then I'm ready to tackle the next piece of it. And so by just taking these little bite sizes of whatever big thing you're trying to do, you see progress, you start getting inspired, you learn. And I found that for me, you know, that really, that really helps me move forward, learn and be able to tackle these bigger projects. Do you do any kind of um, like a, like a vision board with that, or you write down the steps or any, any tactical? I, I write, I like to write stuff down. Some, sometimes, you know, depending, you know, where I'm at, if I have free time, I might, you know, use something like notepad and just create, um, you know, just create, you know, notes of everything that I want to do. Like to give you, <laughs> to give you an example, we were, uh, we were on a plane somewhere and I didn't have a notepad. I, I prefer writing stuff down. Um, but writing stuff down by hand with a pen and paper, but we were on a plane. I didn't have a pen and paper with me. All I had was my smartphone. And so I just created this like seven year plan about how we were going to get financially independent with, with uh, Airbnb and short-term rentals. <laughs> and so I spent like, I don't know, like 30 minutes, like just, you know, you know, we're going to do this year one, this year two, and then this is what we're going to do. And this is what the income's going to be. And then I showed it to my wife and she just, <laughs> she just kind of, she just kind of laughed at me. And and the truth of the matter is, you know, a year, year and a half later, that has definitely been tweaked. Um, but what it does is it, it kind of sets you on a path. It gives you a goal. And uh, I think there's a lot of benefit to doing something like that. Did you print that up and put it on the wall or anything like that? Or you, you, did you review it from time to time? I, I review it from time to time because it's, it's in my notes. I, I haven't printed it out. My, my office is such that, I, you know, we share an office. Um, so I don't have like a, like a board where I can necessarily put that, but that, that actually is a good idea. I, I probably should just find a spot and put it up. Cause I, cause when you go buy it every single time I, I, that motivates you, but I, I come back and, and find it, you know, every, you know, every month or so. And I, I look at it and I was like, oh, okay, we can tweak this here. But, um, it, it really kind of gets you on, gets you focused on a goal. So it's pretty cool. All right. Cool. Cool. But yeah, thanks for uh, coming on the podcast today, David. Uh, you guys want to check out his podcast. It's Doctors Unbound. Is that right? Doctors Unbound, yeah. That's it. You can find it in whatever podcast catcher by just typing that in. Or, um, you know, if you go to doctorsunbound.com, we have every episode. We have a... All right, guys. Well, uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks, David. Bye. Thank, thank you so much. 
This website offers very general information concerning real estate for investment purposes. Every investor situation is unique. Always seek the services of licensed third-party appraisers and inspectors to verify the value and condition of any property you intend to purchase. Use the services of professional title and escrow companies and licensed tax, investment, and or legal advisor before relying on any information contained herein. Information is not guaranteed as in every investment there is risk. The content found here is just my opinion and things change and I reserve the right to change my mind. Above all else, do your own analysis and think for yourself because in the end, you are the only person who is going to look out for your best interests.